This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On today's episode, I have author Amy Trueblood, whose newest book, Across a Broken Shore, is out now. And this is, like her debut, uh, Nothing But Sky, a historical fiction. Uh, This one revolving around uh, the building of the Golden Gate Bridge. So we really dive into uh, what goes into writing historical fiction. Great conversation. So listen in. So Amy, what book hooked you? I started reading very early. I am the youngest of five kids. And so my mom was always trying to keep us busy. And one way she did that was to take us to the library. And I was always noticing kind of what my mom was taking out because my mom was an avid reader. And she always took out mysteries, Agatha Christie's and things like that. So one day, I think I was probably about eight or nine, I asked her if I could read mysteries too. And she kind of said that the books she was reading were too old, but she asked the librarian, the children's librarian at the time, and she picked out Encyclopedia Brown. So I kind of fell in love with books. And what hooked me was starting to read Encyclopedia Brown. And I just loved his adventures. And I really loved the fact that the books would take a break and kind of say, how do you think Encyclopedia figured this out? Or how did he solve the mystery? And so my mom and I would read them together. And we would kind of come up with our own little game and try to guess how he figured it out. And then, of course, we would turn to the end of the book and find the the solution and see if either was either of us were right and usually we were wrong but it was a fun game and that's what really got me hooked into writing and just loving books yeah and i i i'm right there with you i encyclopedia brown was a series uh, that i also grew up with i used to always be very mad when i looked for the answer and it was some something the mystery being solved was some nitpicky little thing that i thought oh come on but Perfect. I was the same way. I, I was I was thinking about like one of the first ones I read and I think it was a one about like a stolen violin and the mean kid had stolen the violin and the way that he figured it out was something about the way the scroll climbs up or climbs down a tree and I was like, Really? You would have never even <laughs> right. known that unless exactly. you had actually like looked in jokingly enough an encyclopedia. So some of them were fun and some of them I thought were great, but then some I agree with you, some were like totally out there. Yeah, absolutely. And these are and those are great books because they're small little like bite-sized pieces for kids. Um, and so from there, if that's sort of like your jumping off point uh, for books that you could really kind of uh, consider your own uh, and really take ownership of, as you kind of got older then, let's say you moved into more adolescence, uh, teenage years, what books and were you into and what role did they sort of play in your life? Of course, you know, as, as you are, you have to, you and you're in junior high and high school, you have to read, you know, all of the classics and things like that. But uh, during the summer when I didn't have required reading, um, again, back to the library and I found myself, you know, and at that time, I think my mom was just thrilled I was writing and I was spending my time reading during the summer. Um, I had so many activities. So when I had downtime, so I was actually still kind of on that like mystery thriller kind of vein. So I read um, a lot of Stephen King, which I probably was a little bit too young for. Um, I read a lot of V.C. Andrews, like, you know, Flowers in the Attic, again, way too young for that series. And then I think I was somewhere, I can't remember where, but um, I started, I found a Dean Koontz book. 
And then, of course, I was, like, totally hooked. And at that time, you know, he had, like, he's got such a plethora of books out. But at that time, I think he had, like, at least six or seven books out. So I just, like, voraciously read through those. Again, content, probably way too mature for me at the time. I was probably about 13, 14, or 15. But I just really loved the page-turner, kind of creepy, paranormal, you don't quite know what's going on kind of books. Right. And so... When then, kind of in your timeline, was it was it early enough at this point that you had any thoughts of your own at you know writing stories? I did. I I I didn't really write story, stories. I kind of did little vignettes. My mom, my mom, as she was wont to do after having five kids, she knew having a teenager, especially a teenage girl, and how could be a little angsty during that time. So my mom um, really encouraged me to journal. So I was about 13 or 14 when she gave me like my first, you know, like kind of like this upholstered little, you know, material covered journal. And I would write in there, but more it would be more about like stories and things that I'd come up with. So I always had a love of writing and I knew I would go on and go to college and and do something with writing. And I did go to college and um, graduate with a journalism degree. So in some aspect, writing was always part of my life. But I'm unlike a lot of people, a lot of my peers who I've met at conferences. Um, We have a big writing group um, in the town where I live. And everybody always says, oh, I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be a writer. I didn't really come to wanting to write fiction until I was much older. I just always thought it was a fun little thing. I had more interest in wanting to be a journalist and traveling the world and seeing great things, but I never really thought about writing fiction until I was older. So, yes, I was writing small little vignettes and small little short stories, but I never really thought about writing fiction until I got older. So you mentioned about uh, being a journalism major and, and, you know, the thought about traveling the world. So is that sort of when it came uh, to seeing yourself uh, at that age grown up uh, and being a journalist, what type of journalism did you sort of imagine for yourself? I really, when I was late in high school and early in college, I took a photography class. I really loved photography. So I really toyed with the idea of marrying photography with journalism and maybe wanting to be a photojournalist and I wasn't so much, um, I had a lot of peers in college who really wanted to do um, the the far traveling, traveling to the Middle East and and covering wars and things like that. And for me, it was more about like capturing cultures and stuff like that. So I had more interest about traveling abroad and capturing cultures and things like that. But then what ended up happening was as as I got more into learning about journalism, I had some really great um, ethics professors and um, where I went to college at the University of Arizona, um, before you can graduate, you actually have to um, be part of actually putting a newspaper together. There was also a newspaper that was put on just through the senior class um, at um, in my level at journalism. So it was a really cool thing to be able to, you know, figure out story and stuff like that. But what I learned very quickly was is that story, especially journalism, you know, it it has, it's all black and white facts. And I was always writing these colorful stories, you know, and all this kind of stuff. My journalism professors were like, you can't add all those superfluous details. So I think I knew at a very early age that probably I wasn't going to be a hardcore journalist. 
And the summer before I graduated from college, I actually got an internship at NBC in Los Angeles and ended up going to Los Angeles and spending the summer in Los Angeles. So actually, my first job out of college was nothing having to do with journalism. I actually worked at NBC um, and worked um, as an NBC page, funny enough. So totally different from journalism, but um, but entertainment nonetheless. And and I really loved it. So your post high school kind of young adult life were there were you still sort of actively reading and and uh, and can you think of any maybe books that kind of stand out for you during that time yeah at that time i it was so hard to read but i do remember you know in in the small hours that i had for downtime i um I would go to the beach um, when I was living in Southern California and, you know, just lay out on a towel and, and read whatever paperback I could get my hands on. I was still very much interested in reading the thrillers and the fast paced stories and things like that. Um, and then as I got older, I started to read more nonfiction and then I started falling in love with, with historical fiction and, and things that I felt like it was reading about stories that had not been covered in general fiction. And I think that kind of started to lay the path for me, you know, thinking about wanting to write, but not only to write, but maybe a hint of a, of, of historical tinge to be in it. And so then... What was sort of the event, the moment, uh, the time in your life that uh, you really first kind of got the idea to uh, become a writer and start pursuing that? Well, I I knew that I wanted to do something that was creative. I was kind of in a crossroads at my in my life. I I kind of fallen into the world of advertising and public relations, and again back to this having you know some sort of aspect of writing in my life. So I was writing a lot of copy, editing a lot of copy, writing a lot of press releases. But I knew I wanted to do I wanted to do something else that was going to be a creative outlet. So I just kind of I had a big birthday coming up, and I said, Hey, I'm going to give myself an early birthday present. I'm going to give myself a year just to write a book. And it was very much on a lark, and it was not anything that will ever see the light of day. But it started getting me to think about wanting to do this seriously as a career. So I wrote that book, and it went in a drawer. I wrote another book, which went in a drawer. And I was, it was getting kind of frustrated. You know, my ideas weren't really solidifying. Yeah, it was basically like 70,000 words of, you know, fluff and story, but no real plot, no real pacing. And I was getting frustrated, and I thought, well, maybe I don't want to write anymore. I don't know. And then I made a um, trip to Chicago, and I went to the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's just an amazing place. Um, a lot of people end up going to the field, but I really wanted to go to the Science and Industry Museum just because it just sounded fascinating. And um, I walked in the door, and the first thing I saw was this biplane that was hanging from the ceiling. And it immediately caught my attention. So I went upstairs, and when I got a closer look at the biplane, they actually had a mannequin hanging off of it that was actually tethered to one of the wings, and it was hanging off of it. And next to the display, the biplane, there was this plaque, and it said the name at the top, Ethel Dare. And it outlined this life of this amazing woman who was a wing walker in, um, in the early 1920s um, after World War One. Um, basically all the planes that were used in the first aerial you know, battles in the war were basically turned out as surplus. And pilots who still wanted to pilot basically bought these planes for like $200. 
And then they continued to fly in what would become um, at the time considered a barnstorming, which was basically like a circus in the air where, you know, a pilot and an acrobat or a plane uh, wing walker would basically hang off the wings of planes and entertain, you know, crowds in all these small towns for enough dollars to get them to the next town. And right then and there, after I read about Ethel, I was like, oh, there's a story here. So I went back to the hotel that night and started researching wing walkers and the idea for my first book, Nothing But Sky, came to me and I thought, oh, this book has to be written. And so I started working on it basically right there in the hotel room that night, just doing research and things like that. So you mentioned uh, before this that you had some other books or some other stories that you were trying and you kind of failed or kind of shelved. What kind of genre and category were those stories? One was a, like a light sci-fi time travel story, which now I think back and I look at it, which doesn't make any sense. And it would never fly. And I think if I sent it to an agent, they would laugh at me. Um, but um, it was kind of quirky and it didn't make really make any sense. Um, and then the, the other story that I worked on was like a, was a contemporary story um, that was kind of based on a little bit of a, of a incident that happened in my own life. But again, it was more the ideas for the stories were more based around like a certain circumstance and really didn't have the full fledged kind of plot and pacing and ideas that would actually make for a good book. So I like to call those my starter books. Um, and then I kind of came to the, to the book for nothing but sky, just like I said, merely by coincidence. And, um, and I just started to get a feeling as I did more and more research about these women, because there were, they were many of them in the early 1920s who were wing walkers who did this for a living. But the more research I did, the more I realized that like these women didn't get more than like a line, you know, in Wikipedia or a line you know, that might be part of their obituary that I found or something like that. So there wasn't a lot of history about these women. So the more I researched about them, the more fervent I got about wanting to bring their stories to light. And so from that visit to the museum to uh, the, you know, eventually getting Nothing But Sky published, what was the journey like? Did you really try to uh, implant yourself and find like others to kind of bounce off your writing for? Did you how did you go about sort of uh, pursuing the craft, I'll say? I'm really lucky um, where I live um, in the um, Phoenix area there. We have a big, huge group of young adult and middle grade writers. And so we have a group that meets like once a month. And in that group, um, I have a couple of people who are my critique partners. And so they really were helpful of reading the early stories and the early drafts and telling me what was working, and what wasn't working. Um, and so that kind of really helped me craft, you know, what would, definitely be the book that I would end up querying, which was, you know, the what would be the first kind of real draft of Nothing But Sky. And then after that, once I got an agent, it went through quite a few more drafts before it got to a place where it could go on submission. So, but I do have, you know, critique partners, um, somebody, one of my friends um, that just happened to meet through this writing group who I meet with now like once a week and we swap work and she's really become a good friend and a confidant and I really trust her judgment when she gives me notes on on my work because they always seem to be spot on. And so uh, you're meeting with YA and middle grade writers. So was it always sort of your intention when you were writing to uh, write in the YA category or did it sort of uh, seem that 
your writing was already sort of veering into that direction before you actually did that within, with the intention of writing in that space? You know, I really didn't start with that intention, but the more people I trusted who I let read my work kept telling me, you know, you, you have that YA voice and your writing tends to lean YA. Even when I was, you know, thinking ideas were more adult, my friends and, and, and other writers that I really trusted said, you really need to be writing YA. When you write, your voice naturally comes out as, you know, that, and I know that sound probably will sound weird to some writers, but, you know, some people um, listening who maybe not understand that. But just I had that voice that, that spoke to some of the the topics and elements of that, you know, are very prevalent in YA, you know, the struggle with family and struggle with finding identity and things like that, you know, that, that lend itself more to, to the YA category than it would be to the adult category. So then I knew once I had all these trusted people who were telling me that I had that YA voice, that that was probably going to be the natural category for me to write in. Mm, great. And so uh, Nothing But Sky was your debut. You now have your sophomore release. Uh, across a broken shore. So let's start talking about that and kind of pitch this book for me. What's this book about? This book, uh, again, another YA historical book. Uh, I tend, my brand tends to start being now um, young girls who crush societal boundaries. So in uh, Across the Broken Shore, um, it takes place in 1936, San Francisco. Um, it's about 18-year-old Willa McCarthy, who is has just graduated and is expected as family tradition um, dictates that she will become a nun. But through a series of events, she meets um, the local doctor in the neighborhood who happens to be female. And on the sly, um, you know, not telling her parents, she actually starts to work um, for the doctor and falls in love with medicine. And as the doctor is teaching her, um, she takes her on, you know, several of her calls and things like that. And one of the things that the doctor does is she takes care of the men who are building the Golden Gate Bridge. So what I do is I tell Will the story, but I also weave in details of the, you know, the final year of the bridge being built in with the story. And it's kind of a nice analogy of the bridge, you know, being built and coming, you know, to its final place. And then Willa having, you know, the changes going on in her life as well. Um, so it's, it's a, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting, um, uh, part of time that I don't think is covered a lot, the post World War One kind of depression era. And it was really fascinating to be able to weave the details of the bridge being built in with Willa's story. It was very fun. So with, uh, Nothing But Sky, you had that visit to the museum that kind of got you started on that book. What was, what got you started on Across a Broken Shore? It was weird. I was looking for my next idea um, to pitch to my publisher, and I was I follow this account on Twitter called um, History and Pictures, and they post all these really kind of you know random photos about different things and different periods of time. And they posted a picture of the um, one of the original pictures that was taken of the bridge being built in 1936. And I started thinking about San Francisco during that time period. I love San Francisco. I've been traveling there, you know, back and forth there, you know, most of my life um, to see family and friends and things like that. And so I knew that the bridge was something that was incredibly um, important. And I hadn't seen, you know, anything like that being tackled in YA. And so I started thinking about that idea. And literally not more than five minutes later, 
I got another picture in my feed, uh, my Twitter feed, and it was this picture of this woman named Lucy Wanzer. And she was actually the first woman west of the Rockies to get her medical degree. And she graduated from what would become the University of California at San Francisco Medical School in 1876. So I was like, okay, two things about San Francisco. Two, it, it felt like the, you know, the universe was telling me, okay, there's something here. So I started to research um, Dr. Wanzer and found out that she practiced in uh, little neighborhoods um, all over San Francisco up until her death in 1930. And I thought, oh, my gosh, here's my story. This female doctor, and she's going to mentor this girl, and, um, and we're going to learn more about, you know, the life of being a, a female physician in the early 1930s and kind of weave that in with the history of the bridge. And it kind of just kind of all came together in like a five-minute period one morning when I was trying to figure out what I was going to write next. And because you're doing historical fiction and, and doing the research for that, do you know yet uh, when you have done enough research to be able to start writing? When do you think you kind of get that sense that, okay, I know and now I can start kind of crafting a story out of all this information? I think the first thing I had to do is I had to think about if I was going to include the bridge, I had to figure out how one that could almost become an element or a character in the story. And so I started out with research about the structure of the bridge first. And then I started to research the the history of, of women physicians um, at the college. And what really I knew I had to do is I had to actually get to San Francisco. And so I took a research trip to San Francisco and really walked the bridge and, and started to, you know, do more research about the bridge. And luckily enough, through a, a weird series of happenstance, I happened to find a gentleman who was a historian in San Francisco. And I had just written the structure of the outline for the book. And he was kind enough to meet me while I was there for my research trip. And I actually sat in his house that he had grown up with in the Richmond district, which is the district where my character lives in the book. And I told him my idea for this story. And I ran back all my ideas past him. And he kind of told me what would work and what wouldn't work. And then after three hours of just, you know, sharing back and forth ideas and things like that, he just basically looked at me and said, if you want to do this, I think it'll work. And so that really was my jumping off point to think, okay, I'm going to write this story. And so he was actually very, very critical in my process. Um, when I came up about struggles, about things, about placement or the movement of a character, I would send him an email and say, what about this or this? And he actually read two drafts of the finished book to make sure all my historical details were correct and things like that. So he was really the one, I think, that at the end gave me the final push to let me know that I could actually make the story work, which was really helpful. And so with writing historical fiction, do you how married do you feel to the facts when it comes to create, creating this made-up story? Is there any time that you're willing to kind of fudge the details or, or mush them together in a way that, that works for you, or do you try to stay within... Uh, the structure of of what you know to be true. I I I marry the two to be quite honest. I I try to work through the realistic framework of what would have been realistic for that time period. I'm really big about visceral senses and and period detail. So in both my books, I talk a lot about clothing and an actual 
things that happen, actual, my characters go to actual places that existed in that time period, that type of thing. But if I come up against something that I feel like can be fictionalized and it, and it works, then I will go ahead and do that. But I'm always very clear in my author's note at the end of the book, because I know a lot of people who read historical fiction are big history buffs, and they want to make sure that I've got my facts straight, too. So I always note the fact where I've kind of fudged things a little bit, um, or I've, you know, um, one of the big things is is that there's a, a part of the book where, um, and I'm, I don't think this is a spoiler, but there is a part of the book where Willa has to go up on the bridge as it's being built. And of course, in real life, you know, in 1936, I mean, it was the whole construction site was run by men, and there would be no way that a woman would be let up on the bridge, even if it was done secretly. So things like that, I gave give a nod to in my author's note and say, I realize that this would have never happened, but for the fictionalization of the story, this is how I pictured it happening. So um, I, I know that there are parts that I really want to stay to historically, but there are also parts that I play with um, from a fiction standpoint as well. But I'm always very open about that in my author's note so that his, history buffs know that I know that, you know, in real life that probably wouldn't have been a realistic move to make. Sure. And so when, uh, is there sort of a, a, list or just things that on time periods uh, and places that uh, you kind of have that you really are waiting to kind of dive into and and research uh, to kind of mine to see if there is a narrative story you can tell from these historic events? I do. We have one other story that I'm kind of playing with right now. Um, it is uh it has a little bit of Titanic background to it, um, which is always a really difficult thing sure. to capture, um, and that is going to require, a, you know, a ton more research. So I'm kind of playing with that idea right now, but um, I have right now I'm working on two different other books, um, a contemporary book and a, and a YA thriller. So I'm kind of kind of getting outside of the historical elements right now. But I have a feeling that, you know, it, it somehow history and and hi- historical books always kind of seem to lure me back. I swore after I wore no- worked, you know, worked on Nothing But Sky, which was a really long process. Um, it took me about a, a year and a half to two years to just research that book that I was like, oh, I'm done with history. I'm done with historicals. I'm going to write something else. And then the whole thing with Across the Broken Shore came to me. So I always say I'm going to put history on the back burner, but somehow there are always ideas that seem to pull me back in. So we'll see. (laughs) Great. Well, let's wind down. And as we do, I'll ask you a few questions. The first one being, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? I know a lot of people have disagreements about this, but I still, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Um, I, I have a weird connection to Harry Potter. I used to work in book distribution and I actually got uh, an arc of Prisoner of Azkaban wow. uh, before it came out. Um, and this was even before Harry Potter was, was big in the States. Um, the first book had been released. And so I had a very early affinity for Harry Potter. So I really think that um, that the, the people who put together the books and brought them to the screen, I think that they just vividly brought that world to life, and I was really happy to see that. I know some people don't don't like it too much, but I'm I'm a huge fan, and I think that they I feel like it feels sometimes like they climbed inside of J.K. Rowling's brain and just kind of brought sure. the setting to life. So I would definitely say that those are my favorites. And do you do you still have that arc? I absolutely. <laughs> 
I, I my bro- my older brother actually has that arc, and um, and I need to get it back from him because <laughs> I prefer it's pretty valuable. <laughs> yes, I think so. I think so. Uh, yeah. Next question: Is there a book or a series that you're willing to admit you've either never read or never finished? Well, I have to say that everybody in my life has watched or seen Game of Thrones. Mm, And I will admit I'm a big baby and I watched the first episode and I couldn't get past the first episode. So I know people love Game of Thrones and maybe one day I'll be able to to actually watch that series. Um, I maybe even be brave enough to read the books, but I I would definitely say I have not done that yet. Very good. And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? I have to say I just finished Kim Liggett's The Grace Year. And um, and I think, in fact, I think it hit the New York Times list this week. Um, but it's a beautiful, beautiful, really well-written, um, I, I don't know if it's, it would consider it a YA thriller. Um, I'm not sure if it's horror either, but it's just a really brilliantly told story about um, the bonds of sisterhood, the bonds of female friendship, and how being kind of put in this really dire situation really brings out the good and the bad in human nature. It's really well done. Great. Well, Amy, uh, Across a Broken Shore uh, is your newest book. Um, we're excited to read it and see what other stories you have for us in the future. Thank you so much for having me. And that wraps up this episode. I want to thank Amy Trueblood for joining me. Again, her newest book, Across a Broken Shore, is out now. Hope you'll check it out. Hope you'll also, if you haven't already, subscribe so you can listen to a lot of great episodes I have uh, with people in the YA world uh, coming out real soon. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.